do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought, thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. My name's Johnny. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. If you, um, those of you who know me, um, know that sad as it sounds, I'm not really big into games of any description. Um, kind of ga- games just aren't really my bag. But last year in our gospel family, um, we played this pretty good game called Joggles. I don't know if anyone's heard of the of of, of the game Joggles. Um, but in Joggles, you have two teams. And representatives from each team have to basically perform against each other to be the first to to do some very kind of simple tasks. Tasks which normally require very basic levels of hand-eye coordination. Things like bouncing a a ping-pong ball in in the right direction or like um, drawing a simple picture or writing your name. that, That kind of thing. But here's the twist. You have to perform said tasks with a joggles headset on, where inside this, like basically everything is up is down and left is right. And so kind of, if I'm aiming at Rosie, everything goes wrong, okay? So it, it's, everything's kind of the, the wrong way around. It was, we had ping pong balls flying everywhere. We had people like who's writing their name looked like just like a toddler. It was, it was absolute carnage and it was all very funny. Um, to win the game, you, you couldn't just rely on your mind or, or what seemed obvious. Wearing the goggles, you had to consciously turn what you saw in front of you uh, uh, kind of on its head in order for it to be the right way up. Now, if you're wondering what relevance Joggles has uh, to do with 1 Corinthians, well, over the last few weeks, we've seen how the Apostle Paul um, is writing to this church, among other reasons, because it's dividing into factions, 
Okay, they're splitting up into followers of this or that church leader whose, whose ministry they evaluated through the lens of what seemed obvious to them. Who was the most eloquent? Who was the most impressive? Who was the most pastorally sensitive? Who was the most crowd-pleasing, the most intelligent? The, the, the values of, of competence and power and success just looked like all those values in, in the world around them. There was no difference in the church. And the Apostle Paul wants to address this as a serious issue. And to do so, he makes a similar move to what happens in the game Joggles. Last week, we saw um, how he reminded the Corinthian believers that the heart of their faith, the cross of Jesus Christ, despite looking pathetically weak, was in fact the power of God to save them. Despite looking shamefully foolish, was in fact the very wisdom of God. Despite appearing as, as defeat of God's kingdom, was in fact its victory. So Paul's saying, as Christians whose victory was won through the defeat of death, you can't navigate life using the same lens as the culture around us. In our minds, we have to consciously take the standards of the world around us and put it through the new lens of the cross in order to see things right. So through that lens, what looks like weakness is actually power, and what looks like foolishness is actually wisdom. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right, foolishness, wisdom. So you see what Paul's doing. He's doing the groundwork in these sections so that next week in chapter 3, he's going to show through the lens of the cross divisions in the church over which leader is the most influential or powerful or or, or strong or competent. It's wholly unchristian. But that's next week's sermon, so I'll leave that to Micah when he homes in on the particular issue. This week he's still one step removed Paul is speaking about in this passage the kind of broader truth about what happens in the Christian mind when we are followers of a crucified saviour. He wants to show how the world upturning lens of the cross is the only lens through which Christians must consider and navigate their lives. Their circumstances, their expectations, their relationship to church, to family, to the world, to all things. And if you want the bottom line of what Paul's argument is here, what he's saying, look no further than the bottom uh, line itself of our passage. Verse 16 of chapter 2, we see his conclusion. We, that as Christians, have the mind of Christ. We have a new mind which counterintuitively can make far more sense of life in this world than a mind shaped by the values of wider culture. Now, as we walk through the logic of this passage, it can get a little convoluted. I don't know if you got that when Rosie was reading. It's kind of like, what's it? There's kind of all sorts of things happening. Um, so just to give you a few kind of anchor points for the journey, um, uh, you know, obviously keep in mind that is the conclusion. So wherever we're headed, that's the conclusion. But to give you those little anchor points for the journey, here's how I think Paul's logic unfolds. Firstly, God's wisdom has been revealed to you by his Holy Spirit. Second, so that or such that you share the very mind of God. Thirdly, so that you can now understand and navigate life rightly. So to see where I got that from, let's start with the first of those. God's wisdom has been revealed to you by his Holy Spirit. So because 
Paul, just in the previous verse, in, in verse 5, I think, uh, without looking at it, um, basically said that our faith rests not on human wisdom, but on God's power. In verse 6, he has to clarify what he means. It's not that there's anything wrong with wisdom itself, but the problem comes when we rely on wisdom of this age. This is Paul's shorthand to describe the kinds of things that without God's revelation, we all just kind of take as read. We just kind of assume things like that success looks like having a large following or that um, like it's better to have loads of money than less money or that the more pleasure I gain, the more happy I will be. Stuff like that. Just things that we kind of just assume are true. That's kind of in view. But do you know what? Paul, actually, when he uses this term wisdom of this age, he primarily has in mind something a bit more specific. He's talking about the way that we humans naturally relate to God. Relying on human wisdom is when we relate to God by relying on our own strength, our own goodness, or our own performance, or our own contributes, or our own attributes and accomplishments, our own impressiveness, our own piety, religious fervor, that kind of thing. Anything within ourselves, when we relate to God through ourselves to think that God is pleased with us. That's what he means by this, by this wisdom of this age. But you see there in verse 6, this isn't wisdom from God. This is wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Relating to God through our high status, accomplishment, inner strength, performance, it leads to our coming to nothing. Probably a reference to God's judgment. No, says Paul in verse 7, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. What is God's wisdom? What is this mystery that was hidden until now? Well, if you do have a a Bible, you don't need to flick there, but last week we saw in chapter 1, verse 24, that the wisdom and power of God is Christ crucified. Only through the wisdom of the cross can we relate to God. That is God's wisdom. Jesus, right? A man from a back-end town in, in the occupied outskirts of the Roman Empire who nearly who neither wrote a book or accumulated wealth and basically his achievement was to get strung up on a Roman cross and killed. This, says Paul, is the wisdom and power of God to us who are being saved. So are you surprised by verse 8 that that none of the rulers at the time, let alone the Christians in Corinth, really grasped this wisdom? Well, of course not. It's madness, isn't it? This crucified saviour looks like folly and weakness, not wisdom and power. Indeed, if the rulers of this age had believed that Jesus was God's power and wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, he writes there. God's wisdom is totally foreign to our natural minds. We cannot arrive at it by relying on what seems obvious to us. It will send our ping pong balls flying in the wrong direction. If you missed the analogy at the start there, then just ask me afterwards. (laughs) We cannot arrive at it through that. We cannot arrive at it through our own effort. We cannot study hard enough to arrive at it. Verse 9, Paul cites the prophet Isaiah, who hundreds of years before said it would always be this way. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. Indeed, it is something which no human mind has conceived. This mystery, hidden through the ages, 
has to be supernaturally revealed to a person. Look at verse 10. While no human mind can conceive of God's counterintuitive wisdom, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. We can never arrive at it by ourselves. What has been hidden for ages past, God has revealed to us by his spirit. Secondly, such that you share now the very mind of God. Now what follows, the verses that follows can get a little bit, a little bit deep. So let me read it and, and hopefully we can unpick it together. So verse 10 to 11, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay, loads of, yeah. So to, to, under, to understand what's going on here, you just have to know one pretty simple thing, that Paul is using the word spirit and mind almost interchangeably. So he asks, who knows someone's thoughts other than themselves in their own minds? Right? That's, that's a relatively easy thing to understand. Only a person's spirit, a person's mind knows what they're thinking, their, their intentions, their purposes. Well, in the same way, says Paul, no one knows God's thoughts, purposes, and intentions other than his spirit. Only God's spirit knows God's mind. So he's equating the Holy Spirit with God's mind. Okay, so so far, so good. Then look what he says next in verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. <laughs> like, like, don't miss how massive this is. As people who no longer have the world's spirit, the world's wisdom, who no longer rely on human wisdom to relate to God, Paul's saying that Christians have had their worldly minds replaced by the very mind of God so that the cross no longer looks foolish, but is seen for what it is, the wisdom and power of God. God has given you his mind in order to see things the right way up. He has given us his mind so that we can understand the things that he has freely given to us. Now notice that word free. What was hidden it's no longer hidden. It's been revealed in plain sight, right? Given to us by God. Jesus has come in history as a man to live and to die on your behalf. This is no mystery anymore. His life was the life you didn't live and his death was the price for your sins. At no cost to yourself, you are united to him so that you can share his mind, so that you can share perfect access to the Father, so that you can share an eternity spent with him. This is what God has freely given to you. It is a gift you do not need to pay God with an ounce of strength or competence or intelligence or power or able-bodiedness or moral standing or wealth or status or inner strength or soundness of mind or anything else the world values. 
In God's wisdom, he has shamed the wisdom of the world by freely forgiving you, by freely embracing you, by freely adopting you, freely giving his eternal kingdom to those who have nothing to boast about in themselves, but can, who can only come to Christ and humbly accept his free gift. Not to the glory of myself or of ourselves, but to the glory of God alone, so that no one can boast. That's the cross. In verse 13, Paul calls these things spiritual realities that we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, where the strong, competent, and powerful can understand. No, no, these are spiritual realities taught to us by the very Spirit of God representing the mind of God, which we now share. Therefore, verse 14, of course, it makes sense, doesn't it? The spirit without, sorry, the person without the spirit, right? That's the non-Christian. The person who doesn't share the mind of God does not accept these things because they can only, the cross can only be discerned by the spirit. So if even this morning the cross appears to you as a delight, as something to be reveled in, as your forgiveness and joy, as the the way that you have entered into salvation and a relationship with the Lord, well, know that that is because the Holy Spirit is revealing that to your mind. That is because you share God's mind. If you didn't, the cross would look silly. So God's wisdom has been revealed to you by his Holy Spirit such that You share the very mind of God finally so that you can understand and navigate life rightly. Look at verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Okay, so the the person with the Spirit of God, that is the Christian who shares the mind of God, discerning his thoughts, intentions, and purposes, doesn't only understand the spiritual significance of the cross, but through the lens of the cross, where what's foolish in the eyes of the world is actually God's wisdom, we can make judgments about all things. The word judgment there is not so much how we use it, like, oh, don't judge me. It's nothing to do with that. It simply means like to evaluate something rightly, to judge something correctly. So with the mind of God, we can now rightly evaluate all things in God's world through the lens of the cross, the wisdom of the cross. All of a sudden, those kind of crazy upside down things that scripture says about life are seen as true and good. In light of the cross, it truly is better to give than to receive. In light of the cross, it now makes sense that to find our lives in this world, we have to lose it. That to be raised to eternal pleasures, we must endure temporal suffering. That true glory is to lay it down. That that the blessed are not the mighty, the rich, and the powerful, but the meek, the poor, and the lowly in spirit. These are spiritual realities that can only be understood and embraced in light of what God has achieved for us at the cross. All of a sudden, our world is turned upside down. But here's here's the twist. Unlike kind of putting on the joggles glasses of the cross and being like, wow, everything's upside down. Actually, with God's mind seeing all God's reality, it's more like realizing that we were wearing joggles glasses all along and we've taken them off and we're like, oh, yeah. 
reality is actually the other way up. The Corinthians had the values all the wrong way around, even though it was what seemed obvious to them. We now see things rightly. It really is more joyful to give than to receive. It really is our soul's delight when we stop having to compete with others to be better or stronger or wealthier or further up the career ladder. We find more joy in being small, insignificant, lacking yet loved than we do in being big, having influence in everything our hearts could ever want and yet never knowing the love and grace of God, one for us at the cross. Note the second half of the verse, which is pretty hard to translate. This is what it says. But such a person, that is the Christian with the mind of God, is not subject to merely human judgments. <laughs> what? Right? To be honest, like, this, this translation of, of this verse, I just think is as clear as mud. And other translations kind of struggle with what's going on here, but I, but I think that other translations get the meaning better. I think what's going on here is that a Christian living out the values of the cross will baffle those around them. Others won't be able to judge the Christian. Others won't be able to evaluate what is going on in that person's life. It's a bit like, what's this, what's this person doing? You know, why would this Christian choose to walk with the lowly over the great? Why are they content and not always looking to have more? How are they able to humbly acknowledge how weak they are when everyone else is, is, is putting on a show of strength? Kind of baffling. A cross-shaped life will confound those relying on human wisdom. It will look like they've got things the wrong way up. I know a guy, a few of you know a guy as well, same guy, who grew up, um, a guy up in Scotland who was born in a, a really wealthy London family. With his level of qualifications, he could have gone and done pretty much whatever he wanted. Probably could have earned whatever he wanted. And yet, as the cross of Christ gained ground on his heart and his natural mind was replaced by the mind of Christ, he began to spend time with those, um, not in high places, but actually time with those in a very poor community. Indeed, he decided he didn't want to go up in the world, but down. Down in status, down in wealth, and down into Christian ministry. Ministry that wasn't a well-paid position, but as a pastor of a poverty-stricken church on a very underprivileged Scottish housing estate. Isn't that baffling to the world? What on earth was he doing? Well, this is the wisdom of the cross. A cross which has set us free from the endless pursuit of more, of victory, of progress. We love that one, don't we? We're progressing. No, you're not of a claim of strength, a wisdom which has given us the greatest joy of becoming like Jesus, who did not remain in heaven with his Father, but who came down, down to us in our mess, to die on our behalf and to share this same mind with all those to whom he's revealed its wisdom and power to the glory of God. God's wisdom has been revealed to you by his Holy Spirit so that you now share the very mind of God, so that now you can understand and navigate life rightly. So as we, um, as we close, we've kind of done the hard work, haven't we, of kind of walking through what this relatively tricky passage means. But, but, but how does that actually affect anything in our life? What does that, what does that mean for us? 
Well, I think it would be easy to land on some kind of application like this. Guys, put on the joggles headsets and start seeing through things through the, the, the lens of the cross, where defeat is victory, weakness is power, loneliness is a high calling. And you know what? That's quite close. It's dangerously close to the truth. But did you notice there that in verse 16, Paul doesn't say, brothers and sisters, have the mind of Christ. It's not a command. It's already a reality for you. He says, you have the mind of Christ. As, as people indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, you have his mind. Rather than commanding you to put the joggles headset on, the Holy Spirit says to you this morning, you're free to take it off. You're free to no longer see things the wrong way around. You're free to find the joy of experiencing the world rightly through the true lens of the mind of God given to you freely. You know, are you suffering? You have the mind of Christ, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, you can endure. God hasn't left you. Rather, he is a God who brings the best possible things through what feels like the worst. You have the mind of Christ. So you know that the joy of eternity is ahead, so you can endure. Perhaps you're thriving. You're receiving recognition for your abilities, for your competence. You're performing really well. Well, you have the mind of Christ. You know that this isn't because you're better than anyone else, more deserving than your brother or sister who isn't thriving. You have the mind of Christ, so you're humbled that God's goodness to you extends further than, than even Christ, that he is still, his goodness just keeps on rolling. You have his mind so that you'd see how good he is, so you can relate your success. It, it, you can relate to your success in this way. Because the cross has recalibrated your mind. You have the mind of Christ now. Are you facing a, a difficult decision, perhaps? Maybe you sense the Lord calling you to do something hard, like telling one of your colleagues about Jesus. Or, or maybe you're considering joining the possible church plant that we've been speaking about, possibly in an underprivileged community. Or maybe you're looking at just making a few changes in your life that will enable you to be around your kids more, or your, your spouse more, or, 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 or your church family more. But making that decision would mean kind of stalling your career or earning a little bit less or, or whatever it might be. Listen, these aren't, these aren't easy decisions. It's not that there's a Christian and an unchristian answer. It's that you have the mind of Christ through which to reconsider your values, your, your priorities, and therefore the decisions that come with it. Are you experiencing trouble in your relationships? in church, at home, in your marriage. We'll hear the words of the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Philippians, famous, famous words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How does it look to navigate that tricky relationship with the mind of Christ, who laid down his life to make his enemies his friends. You know, we could just go on and on. Essentially, the all things that we now consider, that, that's a long sermon, isn't it? Let's take all things and see how the cross uh, applies. We're not going to do that, you'll be pleased to know. But the reality is that having the mind of Christ, who humbled himself to death on a cross, has implications on everything for us. The question, perhaps, that would be helpful for us to ask ourselves right now 
is what part of my life is the Lord asking me to reconsider in light of Jesus' cross? With the mind of Christ, how does it look different? How would it reshape my action or my response or my feelings about it in light of the cross? I can't answer that question for you, but I'll leave some space now for the Holy Spirit, the, the mind of God, to bring to your renewed mind whatever situation or scenario that he so chooses to place on your heart. So I'll, I'll just leave a, a gap, and then after that I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that what was a mystery has now been revealed. Father, thank you so much that you, you guide us by giving us the, the pattern of the cross to follow, that you've reshaped and recalibrated our minds in the way of the cross. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are living and active this morning in this place. And we lift up our hearts knowing that you are the one who must reveal to us where in our lives we display all the values of those around us. The way that we see our problems and our circumstances and our lives and everything in it through the lens which does not look like the upside down nature of your cross. Encourage our spirits, Holy Spirit. That to see things through the lens of the cross is to find true joy. Is like taking off the joggles glasses and seeing life as it was always intended to be seen. We pray this not for our glory so that someone could boast, but for your glory and your glory alone, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in your name. Amen.